Hey, what's up? This is Gustavo Arellano. Every Friday, we're turning over the mic to one of my awesome LA Times colleagues, and today we welcome Ashley Brown. She started with us this past summer as an intern, and now she's producing for us. Go, Ashley! I'm Ashley Brown. You're listening to The Times Daily News from the LA Times. Today is October 15th, 2021, and today marks the 55th anniversary of the founding of the Black Panther Party, a Black power political organization that challenged systems for equity and racial justice. Although it was dissolved in 1982, former members continue their activism. It's a fundraiser, but it's also a Black Panther Party uh, was always involved in food and community service programs. So we're trying to figure out new marketing methods to uh, certainly raise money, but to also introduce people to our message. That was former member David Hilliard, years later in a 2005 interview about a new revolutionary hot sauce line at the time called Burn Baby Burn for nonprofit organization, the Huey P. Newton Foundation. The Black Panther Party's mission brought in thousands of members and operated out of offices across the United States. Founded by Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale in California's Bay Area in 1966 to fight against police brutality. And it grew over the years to push for housing, food equity, education, self-protection, and much more. The group faced a lot of backlash on being the Black Panther Party for self-defense. They organized themselves as a militant group, structured on discipline and respect. They weren't afraid to challenge police or have firearms for protection, which sometimes made it seem as if they promoted violent tactics. People were trying to say we started to shoot us. not true. It was the FBI working with police departments to attack our literal officers. That was co-founder Bobby Seale, often finding himself explaining who the party was and what they dealt with. Many historical figures emerged out of the Black Panthers, Eldridge Cleaver, Angela Davis, and Huey P. Newton. But history often overlooks those who do not serve in dynamic roles or who perform tasks away from the public view. These people do the thankless and less glamorous jobs, important work that keeps organizations running. Barbara Easley Cox was one of those people. From 1967 to 1971, Barbara was a rank-and-file member of the Black Panther Party, who sold newspapers, handed out free breakfast to school children, and ran the Oakland Party office at one point. She also found herself living abroad in exile to be with her husband and to take on bigger roles with the expansion of the Black Panther Party in Africa, with offices growing out of Algiers, Algeria. Barbara took the message of the Black Panthers all over the world, from Algiers to Germany and even North Korea. The Black Panthers' ideologies were beyond America, and they were influencing people amongst different diasporas. We'll have more after this break. You're trying to figure out, if I go back to America, what will I do? What will happen? Who is left? The struggle still has to go on. That's Barbara Easley Cox. She took me on a journey of what it was like being a rank-and-file member of the Black Panther Party, then living in exile and forging a path for herself back to America. 
Barbara got introduced to the party in 1967 when artist Emery Douglas introduced her to her future husband, Donald Cox, a field marshal for the Central Committee of the party. That meant he helped open new offices around the states and also taught members rules and regulations about their rights around bearing firearms. Donald Cox was given the nickname Field Marshal D.C. as he earned respect from party leaders Huey P. Newton, Bobby Seale, and Eldridge Cleaver. Field Marshal D.C. helped advance knowledge of firearms for the party, a big issue that was rising because of police brutality. He opened Barbara's eyes to conversations like gun control, advocating for Black lives, and they went to Black Power conferences together. That was the beginning of a really a whole new life for me, a whole new life, and a very good one, very pleasant. Maybe dangerous in some ways, but I never had any fear in terms of myself. We were young. We were young. In her first years in the party, Barbara served as a rank-and-file member. That meant she did a lot of the grunt work, like selling newspapers, welcoming new members, traveling for the party to attend meetings or conferences, and ran the Oakland office. During this time, Barbara was also rediscovering who she was. She entered the party as one of the older members and was stuck between being a rank-and-file member but also had high expectations from the leadership because of her wisdom and being a partner to D.C., while Barbara continued navigating her place in the party, it was shortly interrupted. April of 1970, there was a question of a conspiracy to commit murder on the East Coast. And my husband had been indicted for some of this activity. D.C. had been accused of being a part of a conspiracy to murder a panther named Eugene Anderson, who was believed to be an informant out of Baltimore. And Barbara ended up exiled from America as a result of her support for D.C. Several Panthers would have to flee the country because of troubles they faced being in the United States. He had made up his mind that he would not be going to jail. And he said, well, I'll go to Algiers with Elvidge Cleaver. And that's what he did. So April, May. That left me in San Francisco and Oakland feeling a little leery. I was pregnant, and a lot of the people that I trusted, especially Panthers, were going different places. I really felt very vulnerable. Exile is a, a bitter pill. Don't let nobody tell you it's not. During that time, Eldridge Cleaver was also living in exile from a different incident, a police-related shooting in Oakland that left officers wounded and member of the party Bobby Hutton dead. In avoiding jail time, Cleaver fled to Cuba. He spent the next several years traveling abroad and found himself in Algeria. While in Algeria, he attended a pan-African cultural conference and connected with other revolutionaries from Africa, and he eventually opened up an international Black Panther office in Algiers. After being separated from D.C. for a few weeks, Barbara got a call to join them abroad to be with Kathleen Cleaver, Eldridge Cleaver's wife, another prominent member of the party. So I immediately got on the bus and came to Philadelphia to say goodbye to my mother and also Bill and Miriam Seidler, my Jewish godparents. A native of Philadelphia, Barbara was no stranger to diverse cultures. She grew up in a diverse South Philadelphia neighborhood with Jewish and Italian people. However, it was Barbara's first time leaving America. 
It was a strange feeling. Going abroad, she felt safer than staying home. She thought it was a lucky opportunity since she was personally close with several of the leadership who were already abroad. To her, the trip was just another place to do the work of a Black Panther, despite the larger picture that she was going into exile and saying goodbye to her family until who knows when. When I got to Algiers, I remember uh, Don Cox picked me up at the airport. Flying is not a good thing when you're pregnant. I get off the plane. One of the African men said, come on, let me help you. And we had a cup of tea or a cheese sandwich. And it was very interesting because the waitress who waited on me, she looked just like my aunt. I mean... I would have thought I was still in Philadelphia, or at least in America. I spent one night, and the next morning, they took me back to the airport with a little Korean man who had a suitcase handcuffed to his arm, and we landed in Russia, Moscow. The stop in Algiers with D.C. was brief because she was actually headed to North Korea to meet Kathleen Cleaver so they could have their babies. While living abroad, Eldridge Cleaver had built a strong relationship with North Korea and their leader at the time, Kim Il-sung, and they invited Kathleen to have her baby there. As for Barbara, well, she was tasked with being a good rank-and-file Panther sister and told to go alongside Kathleen. And finally, after layovers and many hours of flying... We landed in uh, Pyeong, North Korea. Kathleen came, she was there. And they put us in a car and took us to right outside the city, like you would call it the suburbs, to a house with servants in it. I mean, it was very nice. They were staying at a nice house as they were special guests a part of the Black Panther Party. Not many know the deep history the Black Panthers had with North Korea. Well, you must understand, the Black Panther Party was circulating, our, our, our concepts were And we had published her husband's book on Juche, Self-Reliance. Juche is an ideology based on Marxism, but ultimately means the man is the master of his own destiny. The meaning has changed over the years, but it is one that shaped Kim Il-sung and influenced others like the Black Panthers. During Eldridge Cleaver's exile abroad in 1969, he and a few other Panthers made an alliance with North Korea because of their interest in Kim Il-sung's book, Juche, Self-Reliance. They were interested in how those concepts related to African-American revolutionary liberation. The Panthers began reprinting excerpts of his book and sharing those ideas. People had spread the word about this group in California. And you must understand that we were growing across the country. And I'm glad you're in the neighborhood is what they were saying. And it was really good. I mean, the support and things. That's how I got to North Korea. And nothing about that seemed strange to me. But now looking back, yeah. Sometimes I tremble. Although Barbara was enjoying Korea, she and Kathleen needed to make their way to Algiers. And how she got to Algiers? 
Barbara shoveled through a scrapbook to show me proof because the idea of Black women in North Korea in the 70s was not something you'd think to believe. Arrival in North Korea. Kim Il-sung, great-grandfather now of the current North Korean young man. The young man she's talking about is the current North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un, who's been under scrutiny for human rights violations. This is his wife. She came to visit, and I said, I want to go home. She said, I have a private jet. They'll pick you up tomorrow. The Panthers built relationships with unexpected comrades, and it ended up becoming especially beneficial to Barbara when she needed to find a way back home. It was an honor for her meeting Kim Sung-a, wife of Kim Il-sung. After getting on that private jet, Barbara and Kathleen left Korea in October of 1970. This was also around the same time Huey P. Newton was released from prison. Huey was jailed a few times, but this particular arrest was for the 1968 conviction of voluntary manslaughter and the death of police officer John Frey. With this big news hitting the country at the time of racial reckonings, Barbara was unsure of what was going to happen next, but she was ready to get to work in the International Black Panther office in Algiers. People were coming to Algiers, a few ex-Panthers, later on hijackers. And once we settled in, I didn't want to be a babysitter. So we had to figure out who's going to take care of these kids (laughs) for a couple hours. And Charlotte was pregnant, so she got involved with the children. We created a nursery. Charlotte Hill O'Neill was a Black Panther, a part of the Kansas City chapter. I had to get ready to understand there were no pampers at the store. Very little baby food, so we started making our own. I also had to understand that Islam and the religious holidays, I had to observe that. Sometimes if I would get on the bus to go downtown, I would kind of cover my head, you know, because you, you create a circus atmosphere. It's like, where you come from? Because you're not looking like an African woman. You're looking like something else. A few times I would walk to the neighborhood store and I would hear the word Kalusha. Kalusha, dog. You must understand the value of a woman. <laughs> And I'm smoking cigarettes, got on short skirt. I mean, it took me a minute to realize I had to curve myself down. Those were snickering calls she would hear. Barbara eventually chose to adjust to how she presented herself. She realized she was no longer in America where she could go out with her Afro and mini skirt without causing an uproar, especially in a Muslim society where women covered their bodies where modesty was favored. However, despite that obstacle, Barbara had no issue finding meaningful work to help the advancement of the party internationally. I'm a busybody. I just started gathering materials to start a library. Barbara started a library because she recognized the international office needed to be a place that people could go to look up what the Black Panther Party had done and what they were doing. The library wasn't just a collection of books that the Panthers had studied, but it was history, information, pictures, and documentations of the Panthers' work. Unfortunately, all of that was destroyed when uh, people started leaving. 
The library, amongst other things, was misplaced, confiscated, or ruined because of the abrupt split that occurred within the Panthers. By this time, it was early 1971, and it was a fight amongst leadership behind ideals, drugs, and other issues. It was Eldridge Cleaver versus Huey Newton, which left Panther members split between deciding which person they wanted to follow. COINTELPRO is largely credited by scholars, researchers, historians, and former members as being one of the main reasons the party split. At the time, COINTELPRO was a project by the FBI to surveil, infiltrate, and dismantle organizations such as the Black Panther Party. Huey and Eldridge could not see eye to eye on how to continue running the party. Their ideals had shifted. Huey believed it was time to end the violence regarding armed struggle, follow the direction of the government, and shift resources while Eldridge did not agree, and was thought to have been focusing on other issues abroad and neglecting the Panthers. To this day, any Panther you ask has a different opinion about the rift that would tear the Panthers apart. West Coast, East Coast. East Coast went with overseas, Eldridge, mostly. Some on the West Coast. And a lot went with Huey. Um, um, and I was overseas, so she did. That's what she is. Ethel Paris is a good friend and fellow Panther that Barbara met in the Philadelphia Panther office. Once she walked in, immediately laughter and smiles filled Barbara's living room. She was stopping by to pick up a dress Barbara borrowed from her. And coincidentally, I happen to be talking about the Panthers. I wasn't here. Okay, okay. I wasn't here. Okay. But I think it was dangerous, you know? Uh-huh. And so... Yeah, it was people shooting each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Robert Webb got killed. Robert Webb in New York, 125. Yeah, people split between um, dealing with police or elders. I sat listening as the two recounted Panther splitting between leaders and how it was a heavy blame on the FBI. Essentially, Barbara made the decision to leave the party herself. Even being abroad, she felt the ripple effects of the split. I started getting messages. So-and-so's body was found. The biggest piece they found was about the size of a quarter. There was a lot of violence happening within the party and killings that Barbara could not account for since she was overseas. Another call Barbara got was that her godfather, Bill Seidler, who she visited before she left abroad, was shot and killed in his storefront. My husband came in and he said, Barbara, they just killed Bill. And I fainted. Everyone within the community knew they were big supporters of the party, and she attributes his death to the split. It all became too unbearable, and Barbara felt it was her time to exit the party. Being worried about friends and comrades, yeah, it was, it was worrisome. You can't fight a war from a distance, and you can't keep up with it. We just did what we could do. You know, I remember Elridge was on the phone all the time, news people calling. Now, movements like the Black Panthers, which of course uh, thrive on a state of bad relations with the United States and the West. One disillusioned Algerian official quoted in the Sunday Times says, frankly, the Panthers are on the way out and they know it. Do you agree? I think it may be a bit difficult for the Algerians even now to expel Cleaver and the original little group of uh, Black Panthers. 
That was a tape recording during the 1971 split within the party that Barbara and I stumbled across in her creative archives. Some of those things, like that tape, she has kept buried to avoid thinking about the painful parts of being a panther. People started leaving, and I didn't want to come back to America. I said, I want to go to Germany. I want to go to Germany because the GIs were there. We'll have more after this break. After visiting West Germany for a previous trip regarding Black Panthers, Barbara found it fascinating that there were GIs who were in resistance to the military involvement in the Vietnam War. There was also a huge radical newspaper called The Voice of the Lumpen that reported on issues that the GIs faced. She remembered friends she made on that prior trip and decided to leave Algiers and was off to Germany with her son. I found that very exciting rather than just sitting around in Algiers where I didn't speak French. And I was like, I'm out of Algiers. My husband, that bothered him a lot. But I was growing. I was growing. And I'm used to working. He he didn't like that, but I said. That time spent in Germany allowed Barbara to put her energy into the voice of the Lumpen newspaper. Basically, we were focusing on trials that the GIs that got arrested for things of that nature, Vietnam, things in America. Barbara and her friends were always looking for ways to spread the word about issues happening around the world. We would hit the guest houses, bars. And when we would come in, myself, Helen, Jessica, Lucy, so the four of us Afrocentric girls, and Uta bringing up the rear. Them cats would go. And guess what they do? Everybody bought a paper, but the German girls in the bar. You could hear. And the men, the brothers. You look just like my cousin. You look like my mama. You remind me of my auntie. Can I touch you? Can I touch you? And, and they buy all the papers. Although things were going well, eventually all that work Barbara was doing fizzled out by 1973. Things were starting to close down, disappear. I guess you would say our base of operations. We had no one to service, especially in Germany. The GI, the war was almost over. The GIs were going home. My son was in America. And so I knew I had to come back to America. Her husband was not ready to return and wanted to see more of the world. What was next for him was Paris, but she knew she needed to get back to raise her son. My first thoughts were securing a place to live. I was living with my mother and my son in a one-bedroom apartment. Not ideal at all. But I didn't really have independent means of supporting myself. I was able to get a waitress job for about a year 
in a uh, community restaurant, which was very good because I never had to buy food. But I knew I had to find some shelter. And I think I had mentioned my uh, Jewish godmother, Miriam Seidler, sold me her house for a dollar. It was an adjustment being back in America. I wasn't necessarily able to find my niche, but I was able to be involved with other organizations in terms of uh, Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. That's black, white, worldwide. I got involved with them. I started volunteering at a variety of other organizations. And people really liked me and respected my background, I think. So it was like, oh, sister, come on. We're going to have this, that, and the other. And I would come and help them cook, help them sell something, whatever it was. Today, Barbara continues to live in Philadelphia and still holds the lessons of the Black Panther Party close to her. She volunteers at the Church of the Advocate in Philadelphia, doing its soup kitchens and church tours about its history to the Black Panther Party. When I had the chance to see Barbara in person, I could see her passion as she toured me around and gave me a history lesson of buildings and Black Panthers. I was honored to be walking around with someone integral to Black history. Past organizations like the Black Panther Party laid the foundation for activism today because of their call for liberation, social justice, and cultural pride. Yesterday's memories are captured on film, in books, in black and white pictures, and some oral histories. They are filled with love, youth, adventures, romanticism, friendships, revolution, and for some of us, pain. I, for one, thank the gods for all of it. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Next week, busy ports, LGBTQ comics, and a quickly disappearing nut from New Mexico. The great diverse stories never stop here, folks. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Melissa Kaplan, and Ashley Brown. Yay, Ashley. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb. And our theme music is by Andrew Epen. Special thanks to Mike Keflin. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Don't make us the Puccia Podcasts. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back next week with all the news and this madre. Gracias.